I'm rejoicing over the goodness of the Lord to us over these 40 days of prayer, especially grateful for how the various elders are reminding us of the theme for the day and, get, and providing for us the passage we are to pray through. I hope more and more that this moves us to increasingly be a church that prays. On these Sundays, during these 40 days of prayers, we who uh, preach here at Cary Alliance are talking about essentials. Uh, What are the essentials that make for a godly, believing church? What is the New Testament supposed to look like, and what is it supposed to sound like? What are the distinguishing biblical characteristics of a church We have looked at the necessity of Scripture and the necessity of the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand Scripture. Uh, We have talked about prayer, and we have talked about worship as well. And the theme for today is missions. It is an utterly necessary, it is a crucial thing that we be missional in our thinking. We are to be a missionary people because the Bible is a missionary book. We are to be devoted to missions because sacred scripture is saturated with the theme of missions. And for that reason, what I would like to do this morning is take us on a rapid tour through the entire Bible, focusing especially on its missionary mandate, its missionary theme. We will look at the larger parts of the Bible and see how they hold before us the heart of God for the nations of this world, for the unsaved people of this world, in the hopes that we will cultivate an ever-increasing desire to see that the gospel gets to the nations for the glory of Jesus. The place to start is with the entire Old Testament, and here is how I would state it. The God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. Early in the Old Testament, God promises to bless all the nations through Abraham. God enters into what is called the Abrahamic covenant. It's a covenant of love that promises grace to all the nations. In a very real sense, when God comes to speak to Abraham, he is giving Abraham and all of us a missionary promise. It is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It is true that God promises to Abraham that he will make his name great, that he will so grow his family that it will turn into a great nation. But the missionary promise of the Abrahamic covenant is found in the very last phrase of these verses, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The reason that is significant is because in the very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1, verse 1, it talks about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and calls him the son of 
Abraham. In other words, that whole missionary promise that weaves its way through the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures will ultimately and finally be fulfilled in Abraham. This is why the New Testament tells you that if you believe the gospel, if you have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, you are an heir of the Abrahamic covenant, the missionary promise. And the reason we know this is true is because of uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So way back at the beginning of the Old Testament, God makes a promise, a missionary promise, to bless all the nations, and that promise is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is why the Old Testament also says that ultimately all nations will belong to the Messiah, Psalm 2. All kings and nations will bow before and serve the Messiah, Psalm 72. All nations will rally to the Messiah and find the place of his rest glorious, Isaiah 11. And perhaps the most significant promise of missionary success in the Old Testament is found in Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. Follow this closely. Here we discover why God blesses his saved people. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. In other words, why the reason why God looks upon us with gracious favor the reason he gives us his grace and his salvation is so that through us we may be a blessing to all the other nations by heralding the blessings of the gospel to those people. So what you have in the Old Testament scriptures is that God is promising to send a Messiah. That Messiah is Jesus the word Messiah means one anointed by God to perform a special task. And for the Messiah Jesus, he was anointed by God, set apart by God to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer King. That's what the Messiah is. He is the Redeemer who uh, saves us from our sins, and he is the King who rules over us in righteousness. That is the very essence of what it means to call the one promised in the Old Testament and the one provided in the New Testament, Jesus, the Messiah. He is our Redeemer from sin, and as our King, He rules over us in righteousness. So what we have in the Old Testament is an undeniable promise that ultimately all the nations will bow before the Lord and worship Him. Listen to this prophecy in Psalm 86 and verse 9. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. That prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, but as we will see at the end of the sermon, it will ultimately and finally be fulfilled in heaven someday, when all the nations will come and worship at the feet of the Lord Jesus. 
So what the Old Testament teaches us is that the God of the Old Testament is a missionary God. Secondly, the Jesus of the Gospels is a missionary Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, you cannot possibly miss the missionary spirit and zeal of the Lord Jesus. Think how at the beginning of our Lord's ministry, He enters into the town of Capernaum. He goes into the synagogue and He preaches a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And He preaches with such profound authority that the people marvel over His preaching. And then in that city of Capernaum, the Lord Jesus heals many people and casts out many demons. And they are so impressed by Jesus and want to be near Jesus. The next morning, Jesus gets up early, way before daylight, and he goes to a lonely place to pray. And while he is praying, people begin to gather again at the synagogue in Capernaum. They want to hear more of his authoritative teaching. They want to see him perform more and more miracles. So his disciples go to him and say, Jesus, the crowd has gathered. Let's return to the town that you may teach and do your miracles. But what Jesus said to his disciples is rather astonishing. Listen closely. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And the next verse says that Jesus went through all the villages of Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and casting out demons. Jesus is always forward moving on mission. In another place in Luke's gospel, Jesus defined his missionary adventure like this. The Son of Man, that's a title for him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He is on mission to reach the unsaved with his gospel. That is why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? To tell the sinful woman at the well about living water. Jesus had to stay up late one night. Why? To talk to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. Jesus had to pass by a sycamore tree. Why? To call Zacchaeus down that he may explain salvation to him. Our Lord was always on the go, always seeking to save the lost. He was always on mission. This same Lord Jesus Christ gave to us what we often call the Great Commission. It is found at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. These words that I'm about to read to you ought to be engraved on your soul. Uh, your heart ought to beat with praise and prayer when you and I hear about the Great Commission. It goes like this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is crucial that we think seriously and deeply about the Great Commission. 
Jesus gives us at the beginning of the Great Commission a great claim. At the end, he gives us a great certainty. And sandwiched between the great claim and the great certainty, there is the Great Commission. The great claim is this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Meaning, I am the sovereign one. I am the supreme one. I possess total authority because I am the Lord God Almighty. I am omnipotent. And the great certainty is at the end of the verse. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, I am the ever-present Lord. I am omnipresent, always present. And if Jesus is sovereign, if he is all-powerful and ever-present, it means, it absolutely means, if he is always with us in his power, it is a certainty that his mission will succeed. And so he says to us, the Great Commission, go into all the world, take the gospel, preach the gospel, live the gospel, speak the gospel. And when people come to faith, baptize them in the name of the triune God. And be sure to disciple them to obey all that I say. So there is this great certainty and there is this great claim. And sandwiched in the middle of it is the great commission from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, the great commission is not a great idea. It is not a a grand suggestion. It is our mandate. It is our marching orders. And it should never become to us the great omission. Always in the Gospels, Jesus is on the move, seeking to save the lost. And the reason is because the Jesus of the Gospels is a missionary Jesus. Thirdly, The Holy Spirit of Acts is a missionary spirit. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And as you read through these chapters, every single one of them is a missionary biography. Telling us about the the apostles and their companions and the believers in the early church. How they were going out to spread the gospel of Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. Who wants the whole world for Jesus. When you're reading the books of Acts, you will see in one place, there's this statement that they turned the world upside down. Meaning, in their then known world, they preached the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit to such an extent that every place in their world had heard the thrill and the power of the gospel. When you're reading through the book of Acts, at least 11 times, you will read phrases like this, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church those who were being saved. The Lord saved many and added them to the church 11 times. Because the gospel is spreading rapidly in their world. It's also true that at least 9 or 10 times, depending on how you count the references, you will see a phrase about people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the evidence in Acts of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that they speak with boldness the gospel of God, the word of God. Let me just give you a few samples. Acts 4, verse 8. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached. And it says he preached with boldness and many were saved. Acts 4 verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Concerning the first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen, we read in Acts 6 verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. He gives boldness, he gives wisdom. Those who are filled with the Spirit. Then concerning Barnabas in Acts 11 verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Finally, the Apostle Paul, the last verse of Acts, chapter 28, verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With boldness, without hindrance. Talking about Jesus, explaining the gospel. It's interesting, those who study these sorts of things tell us that the book of Acts seems to end abruptly. It's sort of not the way you would end a book. And I guess we could use a little bit of sanctified imagination and simply say, oh, the reason for that is simply because the book of Acts isn't finished. After the apostolic age, we are the, ninth, we're the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Ever since the days of Acts, the gospel has been spreaded rapidly and being honored all around our world. And we are to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us for witness. This is so crucial. I'd like to read two more verses from Acts. The first one is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost and empowered the believers for mission. And they, like Jesus, are always moving forward on mission while they go to Jerusalem and preach the gospel there. Then they branch out to Samaria and give the gospel to those people. And then they began all through the book of Acts to move to various places in the world, taking the gospel there. There's an interesting passage in the middle of the book of Acts, chapter 13, where a local church is gathered for worship. It's the church at Antioch. And the Holy Spirit interrupts their worship for a missionary purpose. And it's the first church identified in Scripture that actually sent out missionaries. Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. My brothers and sisters, there is no missionary success without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants the whole world for Jesus Christ. He wants all the nations to become worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must depend on the Holy Spirit to reach both our neighbors and all the nations. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit of Acts is a missionary spirit. Fourth, the church of the epistles is a missionary church. 
There are a total of 21 epistles, 21 letters. And these letters start with the book of Romans and end with the book of, of Jude. And these epistles exist to answer two basic questions. They do answer other questions, but two basic ones. What are we to believe? How are we to live? In other words, these epistles are designed to tell us the doctrines that are supposed to inflame our hearts. Who God is, who the Spirit is, who Christ is, what is the gospel. They tell us what to believe. And then they tell us how to apply what we're to believe, what to live. And when you read the epistles, they tell us, worship God. Pursue holiness. Be a people of prayer. But they most certainly tell us to not ignore our missionary mandate. And they tell us this in a variety of ways. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Do you see it there? The gospel came into Thessalonica. It spread rapidly there. Now the apostle is going to go to other villages. He's going to go to other places. And indeed, the gospel will go to other nations. Pray that the gospel will spread rapidly. That it'll be embraced. That it'll be honored. A missionary people are people who pray for missions. As the Thessalonians did. Well, what about 1 Peter 2 verse 9? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, that's what the gospel does. You live in moral chaos, in moral darkness, in moral sin. But the gospel call comes and you run out of the darkness into light and you embrace the gospel. And you become what? A royal priesthood, a chosen people, God's own special possession. But for what purpose? Did you see it there? That you might declare the praises of Him who saved you. The one who called you out of darkness into light. To declare the praises of Him is to declare the gospel. And we're to be a witnessing people. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 1.8, this incredible example that was set by the Thessalonian church. Remember this. We spent a whole year studying 1 Thessalonians. When... That church received its first letter. It was a church that existed only for three months. This is a very young church. And they were living in a place that is described several times in that epistle that was enduring severe persecution. But what about the Great Commission inside that situation? 1 Thessalonians 1.8, The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The message of the Lord rang out in the midst of their severe persecution and their youthfulness as a church. They were moving forward like Jesus. They were a missionary people. And the reason is because the church of the epistles is a missionary church. And there's one more point. And you should anticipate it. 
The triumph of revelation is a missionary triumph. There will be people from everywhere that will worship you. Worship the Lord Jesus. Do you remember earlier I read this verse, verse Psalm 89, 86 verse 9? All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. And when is that to happen? Well, listen to Revelation 7 verses 9 through 12. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. When the dust of history finally settles, the Lamb wins. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, He will be worshipped by a multinational, multilingual congregation of believers from everywhere. He will not be worshipped by a few stragglers living in some remote corners of the world. They will be in heaven and from everywhere worshipping the Lamb of God. And by the way, did you know what's happening? It's happening today. It really is. Listen to this. The responsible estimates concerning missionary growth. Uh, in 1900, there were around 27 unbelievers for every believer. By 1950, there were 21 unbelievers for every believer. By 1980, there were 11 unbelievers for every believer. And by 1989, there were seven unbelievers for every believer. The gospel of Jesus is spreading rapidly and being honored. The Lord is answering the promise when His people pray for that spread and that success of the gospel. He will abundantly do it. And someday, and you will be in that crowd if you know Jesus Christ the Lord. Joining your lips and your hearts with those who sing the praise of the victorious, triumphant Lamb. You know why? Because the great triumph of Revelation is a missionary triumph. Let me ask you some questions. These questions come from John Stott. Do you confess faith in God? He is a missionary God. Do you love the Lord Jesus? He is a missionary Jesus. Do you depend on the Holy Spirit? He is a missionary spirit. Do you belong to the church? It is a missionary church. Do you hope for heaven? It is a heaven filled with the fruits of a missionary labor. Trust me when I say this. God triune is a missionary God. God's word, the Bible, is a missionary book. And it is absolutely essential that we be a missionary people. That we be a missionary church that Jesus might get more and more 
redeemed worshipers, worshipers who will worship him forever. Oh, that that would be so. Pray with me. Eternal, heavenly Father, blessed, holy Son Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, ever one, ever three, you are missional. You are burdened and zealous for the nations of this world. You have provided the gospel and your son has purchased the gospel and your spirit makes it precious to us and empowers us to proclaim it. Holy Trinity, get out of this church what you want us to be. A biblical people. A praying people. Worshiping people. A missional people. Give us the zeal to proclaim the thrill and the power of the gospel to our neighbors and to all the nations. And we long for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until that day, Lord, may we be found faithful in living and speaking the gospel. And that through us, you would get more eternal worshipers for Jesus. And Lord, if the Holy Spirit wants the whole world for Jesus, make us want it too. Amen.